What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real because just business is better business. Visit justcapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count. Hi there and good evening. I am Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Give us a quick check it out over there if you'd like. I'd love to hear from you if you don't want to give us a call. But if you do want to give us a call, feel free to dial 866-505-4626, 866-505-4626. And yet another day in the circus of Washington, D.C. And I think we're at vote number 10 without a Speaker of the House. Now, I guess it doesn't really matter how many you go through. We'll probably go through something between 10 and 20 is my supposition. Um, who knows? Maybe they'll make tomorrow, January 6th, the magic day where they get to something. I know that they're still working on these things. But it really is the darndest thing, I think, that uh, we're going through this. And while I have to say, I was looking at my social media accounts. And one of the accounts um, that I follow on Truth Social is that of... Uh, former President Trump, the 45th president of these United States, who I like to call Donaldus Magnus El Trumpito. And I was looking at something he wrote, and obviously he's he's got some really uh, interesting tweets all the time. And one of the uh, the tweets is him saying, look, take the win, vote for McCarthy, stick with Kevin, take the win. And I thought, well, good advice. We don't need to prolong this anymore. Uh, but then there's others where, you know, he's saying, you know, he's defending different things. People saying, oh, did you endorse Byron Donalds? He says, absolutely not. Uh, but then he gets nominated by Matt Gates from the floor today. And he responds to that by posting a funny uh, a meme that somebody put out there. And uh, I think he was a retweet of his, or he might have posted it himself. Who knows? I'll, I'll double check. But it was really funny. And it had him in the speaker's chair, uh, you know, laughing and making faces. And I thought it was really, really funny, like behind Biden's back. So it was, um, I think he got a kick out of that. He is such a master troller. Uh, and, you know, half of me wants to say, come on, Mr. President, why why would you, you know, not take this opportunity to say that I'm not taking the job, I'm not interested, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, but I guess it's just worth too much in, in terms of uh, its trolling value. Uh, but the other thing that I saw was that um, one of somebody put out a, a tweet saying that Trump had endorsed Byron Donalds. And he said, no, it's fake. It's fraudulent. That's not true. It's on a save America masthead, but it in fact is not the case. And, and I thought to myself, it's interesting how there's all these back and forth um, protest candidates that are being put up to become speaker of the house. Yet we, we don't land on one. And Matt Gates today kind of laid it out saying, you know, he has this rules package that he's, um, requesting. And it's, again, it's, this is a real, he said, she said back and forth type of thing, because as I understand it, there is a pretty much, maybe not everything, but most of what they've asked for, they've gotten. And uh, perhaps I'm wrong, but he's saying it's the rule package or just get rid of McCarthy entirely. Give me somebody that's not McCarthy and I'll go for it. And I think that's what him and Lauren Boebert are, are doubling down on. But I want you to hear this clip from uh, Congressman Matt Gates on Newsmax a little earlier. Check this out. 
And I think this ends one of two ways, Trace. Either Kevin bows out, realizing there's no path for him to become Speaker of the House, even if he picks up one or two or three or five of the 20 who have opposed him half a dozen times on the floor, or he essentially has to wake up bring the House into session and put on a straitjacket with a rules package that we've presented to him that doesn't allow a lot of discretion for the Speaker of the House. The reason we've demanded that is that we do not trust Kevin McCarthy, and it's not a small body of work. The guy's been in leadership in Washington, D.C. for 14 years, and this town needs to change, and we're going to change it one way or the other, either by changing out the Speaker or by having the most fundamental rewrite of the rules in really uh, my lifetime. Okay, so that is uh, Congressman Matt Gates. He was on Fox News, excuse me, not Newsmax. And I understand what he's doing. And again, this is why I'm I'm slow to, while there may be a critique on his actions and I, I may not you know, fully support everything he's doing, I understand where he's coming from. And I don't think he's coming from a bad place. I don't want to call him a terrorist or a blackmailer or anything like that because I get where he's at. I, I do think it could be done a better way, but you know, perhaps I'm wrong. Um, <clears throat> but I will say, I, I wish he would, you know, um, kind of uh, join the team and and get things going. And and I want to invite him. I, I think we've tried to invite him, or I don't know if we did or we didn't, but we should do that again if we haven't, because I think it would be a good conversation to have and see what's going on with Congressman Matt Gates and what he could tell us about this. But what I'll say is I understand it is important to make sure that you have rules. You know, Nancy Pelosi had made some changes to the rules uh, on a number of occasions to always enhance her power. And I think McCarthy views this as what's good for the goose is good for the gander. If you change the rules, kind of like the filibuster, right, when the the filibuster rule, when that was, again, added by uh, Democrats, and now the um, Republicans are like, oh, you guys put it in. Hey, whatever, we're going to keep this thing. And and now they're like, no, we got to get rid of it. We got to get rid of it. (laughs) So it's one of those things that I think, um, you know, what's good for the goose should be good for the gander. If it's good for you when you wanted to amass power for yourself, then it should be good for us when we want to amass power for ourselves. But lamentably, it, it, um, this is one of the bones of contention. I think there's um, a lot of things at play here, not the least of which is people that are doing some posturing and grandstanding because that's kind of what you do in, um, in this business of politics. But it seems to me that when you say anybody but McCarthy... Now it becomes a little problematic when you've got former President Trump, who's, you know, by all accounts, the de facto leader of the party, I would say. I think it's safe to say standard bearer for the Republican nomination, that type of thing. When he's saying, hey, look, let's go for it. When most conservatives like Jim Jordan and uh, Jim Banks and uh, I mean, so many, there's pretty much almost the entire Republican conference uh, is backing Kevin McCarthy because Again, he's the one that's got those 202 or three votes. So it just becomes, uh, I don't know, problematic for me to say because of a holdout five, six, seven people that can influence another 12 or 13 people that we're going to really hold on to this. I guess it's a bargaining chip, but I don't see how it's uh, not, how now is the time to have this stand. I just don't. And again, I'm not in, a, in an incredible rush, but... I do think we should have the constitutional officer of speaker nailed down so we know who's third in line to the presidency and so that people like Hakeem Jeffries won't go on TV and do a press conference and say things like Democrats are ready to work, but Republicans are busy backstabbing each other. Listen to this. From this is a uh, Hakeem Jeffries as we get it loaded up. He's um, in, in effect going at what I'm what I've been saying that they're going to exploit 
these little chinks in the Republican armor and turn them into these huge chasms. Check this it out. This is day three of the Republicans not being able to organize themselves in a manner that allows the Congress to move forward in order to get the business of the American people done. House Democrats are ready, willing, and able to get to work on behalf of the American people. But we need a willing partner on the other side of the aisle. It's my hope that today the House Republicans will stop the bickering, stop the backbiting, and stop the backstabbing of each other so we can have the back of the American people. Is that you want a willing partner, a willing partner. Were the Democrats ever a willing partner when the Republicans had control? Of course not. So for him to sit here and pretend, uh, you know, pull out his little violin and sing this little song, I think is disingenuous. But nonetheless, they're going to take every shot they can, no matter what. But right now we're giving them a little bit of fodder, and I don't think that we should. So anyway, we're going to get to that and more. We're going to bring in our guest, uh, Representative-elect Mike Lawler, congressman from New York, as well as others throughout the evening. Let me give you the phone number, 866-505-4626, if you want to chime in on the conversation. Uh, there's more to come straight ahead, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, by the way, Rich Valdez with an S, and we're coming right back. Are you ready for hard-hitting observations? Reality remains reality no matter how hard you try to ignore it. The Ben Shapiro Show brings you all the news you need to know in America today. Again, I'm all here for the pop culture, people dating each other for the press. Ben breaks down the culture and never gives an inch. Every so often, and by every so often, I mean literally every 27 seconds when the producer gets fired. The Ben Shapiro Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Does the gentleman from Louisiana seek recognition? Madam Clerk, I move that the House stands adjourned until noon tomorrow. The question is on the motion that the House stands adjourned until noon tomorrow. Those in favor say aye. Those opposed, opposed, no. Okay. (laughs) Wonderful. Man, I can tell you, my job's a lot more fun than that job, but somebody who's in that job is Congressman Mike Lawyer, representative-elect from New York. Mike Lawler, welcome, sir. Thanks so much for having me. All right. I can barely hear you. Let's put him on hold for a second, see if we can get the phone worked out. Uh, But in in the interim, I wanted to just uh, say it's got to be very, very difficult to show up to work and have that type of uh, tension. Now, I think people are listening and they're thinking, Rich, when you go to work, you know, is it always that cont-? it can be at times it can be very, very contentious. But it's definitely one of these things where y- you don't want this type of contention. And I think we have to try to work, at least put your game face on and try to put your best foot forward. But listen, occasionally, I think sometimes you got to go back forth and, and have a little bit of a tussle. Now, our uh, our guest, he's going to be calling us back in a moment to trying to establish a better connection, Representative Mike Lawler. And uh, what I want to get into is talking a little bit about what's happening today with 10 votes that have been um, taken, how much closer we are trying to get that bird's eye view of what exactly is happening. So let's, uh, again, go back to Congressman-elect Mike Lawler. Sir, welcome. 
How's it going? Oh, there we go. I can hear you great. Fantastic. Congratulations on your big win. Thank you. Appreciate it. Now, you know, I think a lot of people listening may not know because they're like, ah, congressman from here, congressman from there. Uh, I think the big deal here is that, A, this was not a, a, a um, something that was originally competitive. And the chairman of the Democrat uh, Congressional Campaign Committee, the guy who raises all the money to reelect congressional Democrats, was the uh, previous holder of this seat. So I think it was a really big deal for you to beat him. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, no, this was obviously a, uh, a seat that, uh, you know, Joe Biden won by 10 points. Uh, it's a D plus three on the Cook PVI rating. It's home to Bill and Hillary Clinton and George Soros. Uh, and there's over 70,000 more registered Democrats than Republicans. Uh, so it is certainly uh, by no, no stretch uh, a Republican seat. Um, but it's one that has been competitive in the past and uh, certainly this year it was, and we were able to, to build support all across the district. You know, I'm coming out of Rockland County, uh, a two-to-one Democratic county by enrollment, uh, but I represented uh, a state assembly district there. Uh, Sean Maloney uh, was representing the congressional district north of us, uh, but when redistricting took effect, decided to run in this seat uh, at a, as opposed to his current seat, and, you know, 75 percent of the district was new to him. And so he didn't have that built in advantage of incumbency. The other factor that really played a big role here is the fact that Democrats controlled everything in Washington, Albany and New York City for the first time in our nation's history. Uh, and they created an absolute mess, a 41 year record high on inflation, surging crime, skyrocketing energy costs and a poor southern border with not only a massive inflow of illegal immigration, uh, but drugs fentanyl pouring into our communities, killing 300 Americans a day. And I think folks were, were fed up. They wanted uh, balance and common sense restored uh, at every level of government. And we had significant wins in New York uh, in this election cycle, including in this district. All right, folks, again, we're on with uh, Representative-elect Mike Lawler out of New York. And so you're you're there in Washington, right? And you're watching what's going on. I know right now there's a deal underway, at least it's being reported by Fox News that about an hour ago, that there's uh, 12 Republican holdouts that could vote for McCarthy under a new deal that they're currently working on, uh, which could send us in the right direction if um, if there are some concessions made. What's the latest on these deals uh, from what you've heard? Well, there's obviously been a lot of conversations and discussions over the last 24 hours. Uh, I think significant progress has been made. Uh, and certainly with respect to uh, rules changes and budgetary process changes uh, that are, are certainly uh, making way for a number of uh, my colleagues to get on board uh, in support of Kevin. The overwhelming majority of the conference supports Kevin. Over 90 percent of the conference has voted for him consistently over these 11 uh, votes that we have had. And over 85 percent supported him in our conference elections back in November. So the time has come for all of those who uh, are holding out uh, to, to land the plane here. Uh, they've made significant uh, requests. Uh, most, uh, if not all, have been uh, you know, addressed and accepted. Uh, and I got to take yes for an answer. And so, you know, we need to get about the work of the American people. 
Uh, we need to address the challenges that we ran on and won on uh, and, and really start to do the work that is required, whether you're talking about oversight of the Biden administration or you're talking about securing our southern border, or you're talking about reining in wasteful spending, or you're talking about increasing domestic production of energy. Uh, these are, are significant issues that we all ran on and won on, and we need to get to work on. So the time has come, as far as I'm concerned, and many of my colleagues uh, who have supported Kevin from the start uh, to, you know, move forward as a conference Rep- and work together. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Representative-elect Lawler, would you say that you would be in Congress today, you would have won your election had it not been for Kevin McCarthy? Listen, Kevin McCarthy played a significant role uh, in supporting me. Uh, obviously, CLF, uh, the super PAC uh, that you know he has uh, helped raise funds for, uh, supported me heavily, spending over $8 million uh, in my race, uh, especially on the New York City media market, which is extremely expensive. Uh, and so, you know, he played a, a role for sure in helping elect me. And I'm a big believer in loyalty in this business. You know, you, you, you stick with the one who brought you to the dance. And I think a lot of times, uh, frankly, there's there's a lack of loyalty. And, and that leads to so many unnecessary and unfortunate fights like this that, you know, frankly, I don't think serve anybody in the country well and certainly doesn't serve the conference well. And at the end of the day, the only winners here over the last three days are Joe Biden, Hakeem Jeffries. And Chuck Schumer. And, you know, for conservatives across the country uh, and for the voters across the country who wanted uh, a check and balance on the Biden administration, this is not what they asked for. And we need to get to work. And and so it really requires everybody to check their ego and, you know, focus on what is best for the conference and the country uh, and, and not themselves. Yeah, I think this is the the key takeaway that I think everybody needs to focus on is that we're not going to get a lot done if if we're focused on our own posturing. And I'm not saying that's what everybody's doing, but I think there's a, a degree of that going on that probably shouldn't be happening I, I, right now. I, I would I, I would I, I take most of my colleagues at face value mm-hmm. in their sincerity in wanting to address budgetary issues and rules uh, changes that they believe and I support uh, would make the conference and the country better, but you have to learn to take yes for an answer. And there comes a point where, you know, negotiations uh, need to stop and you have to move forward. And we've reached that point. And I think there certainly are a handful of members uh, who, you know, frankly, I don't think have acted in good faith. And I think have made this about themselves. They've made it personal uh, against Kevin uh, and they've used this as an opportunity to raise their profile and raise money. And frankly, uh, that's shameful, you know, but uh, by and large, I think most of my colleagues are, are working towards uh, resolution uh, in good faith, uh, as Kevin has throughout this entire process. And I think it's time uh, to land the plane here. Yeah, I agree. All right, folks, we're on with uh, Representative-elect Mike Lawler from New York, one of the uh, House districts that was flipped from Democrat to Republican. 
um, and obviously his own hard work and work in the New York State Assembly, as well as support from the Congressional Leadership Fund and Kevin McCarthy. So we're going to continue our conversation with him straight ahead. Our telephone number is 866-505-4626. And when we come back, what's going on with Joel Baboso Biden and the border? Don't move a muscle. We'll be right back. I'm Rich Valdez. think it is a human right if you have your if your family's being persecuted if you're being dealt with in a way i mean like it was i thought it was a human right for you know uh uh jews in germany to be able to go to get to escape and get help where they could so that's president joe biden who i like to call joe el baboso biden saying that this is somehow comparable to what the Jews face. Now, listen, uh, I'm not Jewish. Uh, I don't claim to be Jewish. I don't say I'm Jewish on my resume or anything like that, whether I'm on the radio or running for Congress. But I will say that I think it's wrong to make these comparisons, and and I never take these things flippantly. Our guest is Congressman-elect Mike Lawler from New York. Congressman, um, how do you react to what Joe Biden said about the migrant situation at the border and the Holocaust? Yeah, I, I just don't think the situations are comparable at all. Um, you know, we have a crisis at the border and a significant one, and it is a humanitarian crisis as well as a national security crisis. And the Biden administration has failed miserably uh, to address it. The fact that you have had uh, over four million migrants come to this country uh, since Joe Biden took office uh, and it just a totally porous southern border with millions of pounds of fentanyl crossing over, killing Americans, and absolutely nothing is being done about it. We need to get serious. We need to increase border patrol. We need to increase the number of judges available to hear these asylum cases uh, immediately, as opposed to uh, allowing people to, to come here for two to three years and hoping they come back to uh, to. Uh, you know, see a judge. Um, and you need to shut the southern border down, period. You cannot continue to allow a massive inflow of, uh, you know, illegal immigrants coming into our country, period. And, you know, my wife is an immigrant, She's an immigrant from Eastern Europe. I've been through this process. It's a broken system. Uh, we absolutely need to fix the legal immigration system so that people who do want to come here can do so. Uh, and, and go through the process and come here legally and contribute to our society, to our economy, to our communities, uh, and to our culture. Uh, immigration is a positive thing, but it has to be done appropriately. Uh, and then obviously you have the fact that you have over 20 million people who are here illegally, uh, and we're doing nothing to deal with that. So this is, this is a crisis, um, and it's not about trying to prevent people from coming here uh, who want to come here uh, legally. It is about making sure we have a system that works, that our communities, uh, especially on the southern border, are not being overrun. But it's not just down there. I mean, migrants are being flown into New York, uh, into Westchester County Airport in my mm -hmm. district, uh, and, and being dropped off in communities all across the region. 
this is unsustainable. And when you hear the mayor of New York City, a sanctuary city, uh, you know, talking about this as a crisis, uh, I'm glad that he that New York City is finally waking up to the fact that we have a real crisis. But maybe they should change their policies with respect to being a sanctuary city. This just doesn't work. You can't have lawlessness uh, all over our, our country. You need to have a, a process and you need to enforce it, period. All right, folks, we're on with uh, uh, Representative-elect Congressman Mike Lawler. Uh, now, President Biden says that he's visiting the border because Republicans aren't serious and that what's happening here is the result of Title 42 because that's making it even worse. How do you react to that? I mean, look, that, that's a joke. Um, <laughs> I mean, the president has just totally failed uh, in his responsibility uh, to secure our borders and to prevent uh, communities on the southern border from being overrun. And it's not just Republicans that are uh, set up. You have Democratic mayors across the, the southern border uh, that have been expressing this for months. So, you know, the for the president to, to put this on Republicans, uh, I mean, that's just laughable. And I guess finally, you, you're you're are you there in Washington now? I am. I am. We're and, uh, adjourned until noon tomorrow. And uh, so, you know, I'm hopeful we will uh, make final progress. Now, you and a number of your uh, um Colleagues that are recently elected are all waiting to be sworn in, and I guess you can't be sworn in until this whole situation is uh, resolved. What's that like for you and, and the new freshman class? What's uh, what's kind of the bird's eye view from your opinion, from your view? Well, obviously, it's disappointing. You know, many of us had uh, families and friends and colleagues come uh, down to to watch us get sworn in uh, right. on a personal level, but. Um, you know, ultimately, obviously, there's a lot more important things uh, going on than, you know, getting a photo op. We'll uh, we'll get that at a later date. But, uh, you know, we need to elect a speaker and we need to get about the business uh, uh, that we were elected to deal with on behalf of the American people. And you can't do that until you elect a speaker. And so uh, I think, as I said earlier, the time has come. Uh, for those who have uh, thus far resisted uh, supporting Kevin McCarthy to get on board so that we can get about the work of the American people and do our jobs. It's that simple. And uh, if they don't want to do so, um, you know, then they're, they're making it very clear to the American people that they're not interested in governing. And that obviously, uh, in my opinion, is just shameful and uh, and embarrassing. So, you know, the time has come and uh, folks have ha- had their voices heard. Uh, they've got their pound of flesh and uh, it's, time, it's time to move forward. Do you think we get resolution on this by tomorrow with some of the deals that they're trying to hammer out, uh, the Club for Growth deal that they were trying to hammer out? Or do you think this goes into next week with another 10 votes? Look, I am hopeful that we get there tomorrow. I can't guarantee that. Um, I'm hopeful we get there tomorrow. I think we're seeing, uh, obviously, significant progress has been made. Uh, I believe, you know, we will see a breakthrough tomorrow, um, you know, in terms of a final vote to get, uh, you know, uh, Kevin McCarthy uh, elected speaker. 
you know, whether it's tomorrow or early next week, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. But I, I am hopeful uh, that we have made significant progress to turn the corner here and uh, and get to the finish line. All right, folks, that's Michael Lawler, representative-elect representing New York. Congressman, I want to thank you for coming. Congratulations to you. Stay the course. Godspeed to you. Let's get this thing done. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. You got it. All right, folks, uh, straight ahead, we're going to get to your calls and more. We've got calls from West Virginia, Ohio, Tallahassee, Florida, all over the place. Looking forward to speaking with you guys. 866 And if you want to chime in online, you can feel free to do that as well. At Rich Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez. And by the way, I never make this plug or I don't do it enough, I was told. Uh, check out my podcast, This Is America with Rich Valdez. Um, wherever you get your podcasts, just click subscribe and you can get some um, exclusive commentary that you don't hear on the radio. And uh, if you want to hear a little bit more of what's going on uh, in this little uh, hamster wheel between my ears. Anyway, uh, more to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez, with an S, by the way. If you want to chime in online, if you want to give us a call, 866-505-4626. Let us go to Michael in Tallahassee, Florida. Michael, what's up, man? You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hello. Hello, sir. I used to call in quite a lot, uh, but haven't been kind of demoralized, but uh, the controversy over picking a new speaker has energized me. And uh, I'm a lifelong Republican, and I was big with it was active with the Tea Party in 2010. Sure. And one of the things that was really aggravates me is what a bad job Republicans do. Um, they had a Fox poll in 2016, and it showed that 62 percent of Republicans feel betrayed by the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. And the Republican Party is doing nothing to change those numbers. I still feel betrayed. The deficits, Trump had a Republican Congress for the first two years. The deficits under Trump the first three years were higher than the last three years of Obama's. They, they, they vote on bills that they've never read. And all the key positions in Congress are determined by how much money these Congress people raise. That's the sole thing that determines it. It shows you the system is incredibly corrupt, and I hope anybody who is upset about this will call their congressman and ask them to vote no on Kevin McCarthy. Who would you recommend? Somebody not named Kevin McCarthy. He's not entitled to it. He's not the only person uh, to well, be No, he's just the only house. one that has 202 or 203 votes. Well, the reason why is everybody's afraid of him. <laughs> you What's know, clearly, to be afraid of? people. Well, he has money, and he will. If he wins, well, you know, there's some kind of a thing like if you strike the king, you have to make sure that you you kill the king or something. Sure, some yeah. Phrase yeah. like take, that. Take, taking a shot at the and, king, and, make sure you don't miss. Something like that. Yes. So, I mean, these people won't have any. Uh, I mean, these people are very have a tremendous amount of principle. Matt Gates and all the rest of them have tremendous amounts of principle because... Well, let me ask not, you, Michael, not, would you say that guys like Jim Banks, uh, guys like Jim Jordan are unprincipled? 
and that they're somehow part of this, um, you know, nefarious uh, fear-mongering campaign of Kevin McCarthy's? Look, there are a lot of people that can't, they will not come out against Kevin McCarthy as but, long uh, in as In particular, these two guys, they're very prominent conservatives, and they've been rather outspoken. Uh, I think Jim Jordan who is, is very on the level. He's a very solid guy. And he says he's with Kevin McCarthy. Do you think it's out of fear? Well, because they want assignments and they got they get money. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is supporting Kevin McCarthy, and she clearly was. Uh, and she uh, clearly has know, no assignments. She's got no committee assignments. And see, the reason I, I, I just I just don't see that this argument has many legs is because if Jim Jordan, Jim Jordan stands on his own. He doesn't need Kevin McCarthy. I think he's a pretty solid guy who's got the support of people in the state. He's got support of people in the conference. You know, they, they happily nominated him and got I don't know, something like 20 votes on that third go round or whatever. So I think if I think most people would be happy voting for Jim Jordan as speaker. But Jim Jordan's saying, you know, I'm going with McCarthy. And I think the, the, the reasoning behind it could be many. But ultimately, I don't know that it's entirely fair to just say that McCarthy's not entitled. It's not about entitlement, but it's kind of like who delivered the slim, you know, four-person majority that they have in the House. It was Kevin McCarthy. And and some people think, well, no, that kind of power just comes with anybody who's speaker. I don't know that's that's the case because it, it wasn't always the case historically. So, I mean, I'm with you. Listen, I'm with you. I commiserate with you on being upset with with the Republicans for, for spending like, like Democrats. But ultimately, I mean, in a fight like this to just, you know, sit here and fold our arms and think that the only solution here is to just get rid of Kevin McCarthy and all of our woes will be solved, I think is unrealistic when he's the guy that's got 203 votes. And again, he's no Nancy Pelosi. Almost everything they've asked for has been a yes from him. He, there's very few things he's saying no to. And at the end of the day, Matt Gates, while well, you may say principled, I'm sure he is principled, uh, but ultimately he's saying, you know, even if we get everything we want, I'm not sure that he's going to vote for, for McCarthy. Now, we have a clip of him saying, look, um, either McCarthy steps aside or we get every rule we're asking for. I don't know if either of those things is is going to be doable. And putting myself into their shoes, I think to myself, would I would I allow one congressman or three or five or seven and who coalesce another, you know, 12 or 13 with them, uh, you know, this group of 20 to bully and become the, the, the tyranny of the minority to push around the majority. I don't know. I think it's just, it's so much conjecture to say that, you know, these guys are the ones that are right. And the other ones are all the ones that are wrong. When you have people that are very principled, like Jim Jordan, people that are very principled, um, that, uh, have, have a track record. Um, and so to me, it just doesn't make sense, including Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's saying that, you know, this this doesn't seem to be the right way to go. But anyway, those are my thoughts. Uh, I appreciate your call, Michael, from Tallahassee, Florida. Um, sorry that you're demoralized, but happy that you called. Anyway, let us continue. Let us go to, let's see, Craig in West Virginia. Craig, what's up? You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, Rich. How are you doing tonight, buddy? Wonderful. Thank you, sir. Hey, uh, you seem like a really level-headed guy. I listened to you a good bit, listened to Bohan back in the day. Thanks. You do realize that Jim Jordan was one of the eight Congress people that was setting in on the Zoom calls with the Proud Boys. Now, now let me get to my point. Mm-hmm. You, you got the Republicans, the, the second in command right now, it looks like, is going to be Byron Donald. 
No, I did a little deep dive on Byron Donald. He's a Brooklyn boy like me. Yeah, 1990. Well, he Florida representative. Yeah, but he's from uh, he's from Brooklyn originally. He's from Brooklyn, exactly. Went to Texas, Texas or Florida A and M. Okay, 1997, convicted of distributing marijuana, not possession, distributing. So now we're talking about a trunk load, not just like a baggie in the back of your pocket. 2000, pleaded guilty to bank fraud. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know anything about these things, so I can't get into that. But I'm guessing this would have been something that we would have addressed or his constituents would have addressed during the time that he was being elected. That's my thinking on it. Look up on Wikipedia and just Google uh, Byron Donald, House of Representatives, uh, arrest record. Is right, this but what the is, face of the Republican Party now? I, I don't know. Are you making it the face of the Republican Party? As I mean, far as I know, he represents about 750,000 people that elected him in his district. See, ultimately, um, these to me, these are false equivalencies, right? So to say that, you know, just like the, the previous call, if we say that um, it's just Representative Gates is the sole person in Washington that has sense and the sole person that is um, upholding his principled values, and I'm not saying he's not. I'm just saying to say that he's the only one and that everybody else isn't, it is a false equivalency. It's just not true. It's just not factual. It's not real. And and to say that, you know, let's say um, th- there's a, a, a some sort of pass for, for Byron Donalds, that that somehow is uh, a black eye on the Republican Party. Uh, I, I just don't see it. I think the guy's a rising star in Republican politics. I think the things that he talks about make a lot of sense. And I like the guy. So, I mean, he's not my congressman, but he, he seems to do a fair job and won re-election. So, again, th- these things, for me, this is splitting of hairs, right? There, we could find things. I, people sent me things on, online about Lauren Boebert, about Marjorie Taylor Greene, about all of them. N- nobody's perfect. Uh, I, matter of fact, half, the, half of the guests that I bring on here have some sort of record because they were involved. The, the point is these things uh, don't uh, – for me, they're not deal breakers because I think everybody has a, a unique story that they're telling. Uh, right now what's at stake, in my opinion, is – the weakening of the Republican Party. And while I think everybody wants to have a more unified and stronger Republican Party, I don't know if that is going to be the outcome if we continue with this bickering out in front of everyone. That's all I'm saying. But thank you, Craig, in West Virginia. I appreciate it. More to come straight ahead. I am Rich Valdez. We'll be right back. substantial improvement in his condition over the past 24 hours. Uh, We had significant concern um, about him after the injury and after the event that happened on the field, Uh, but he is making substantial progress. Uh, As of this morning, uh, he is beginning uh, to awaken, uh, and it appears that his neurological uh, condition and function is intact. Uh, We are very uh, proud to report that, very happy for him. Uh, and for his family and for the Buffalo Bills organization. All right, that is a report from the doctor treating Damar Hamilton at a press conference earlier today, saying that his condition has improved substantially. He has awakened, and his neurological condition condition is uh, and function is intact. That is a pretty big deal. Excuse me, it's a very big deal in my opinion because you don't want to go down the road of having 
brain issues or brain damage, right? Swelling in the brain, the, the, all of these things can lead to, to brain damage. And I went through this with my dad. My dad had fallen down some years ago and gotten uh, uh, several brain bleeds that swelled up and uh, the, they called subdural hematomas. And they cause massive damage if they're not re, you know, rectified quickly. On another note, Peyton Hillis, former Cleveland Browns star, he's been reported uh, in ICU for saving his own kids in a swimming accident. So our thoughts and prayers are with him. Uh, Straight ahead, there is more to come. We're going to get to the bottom of things. Keeping up to speed on what's going on in America at night, I am Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. Hey, everybody. This is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day, plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network on YouTube or wherever you listen. Hi there, and good evening. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. If you want to join our conversation this evening, give us a call, 866-505-4626, 866-505-4626. And if you want to chime in online, I'm at Rich Valdez, at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. And there's a lot of talk with what's going on in Washington with respect to electing a House speaker and what the potential agenda will be moving forward. What happens once, you know, we finally get this squared away and in the aftermath of everything, there's a plan of attack, right? There's an action plan that has to be taken. And what's one of the first things that the new Congress is going to tackle? And I think one of those things is going to be trying to repeal the Inflation Reduction Act and trying to reverse these 87,000 new IRS agents that are out there are going to be out there trying to collect every last tax dollar. And there's a lot going on with respect to the IRS. And I want to bring in President of Americans for Tax Reform, Grover Norquist, because I think he's got a sense of what's going on. Grover Norquist, welcome, sir. Very good to be with you. All right. So tell us what's on your mind uh, with respect to what happens once the dust settles and uh, and I'm going to presume that it's uh, McCarthy that does, you know, eventually win. What happens then? Well, uh, McCarthy and Scalise and all the Republicans got together, uh, including the, the dissidents who are mad at him, uh, and came up with a, a program, a list of, of bills that they promised to vote on first. So as soon as we do decide who the speaker is, and then you can actually have a House representatives, the speaker, until you have the speaker, you can't do anything. So uh, when they get that done over the next week or two, uh, then uh, the the Republicans are committed to putting a vote up to repeal the legislation that every single Democrat voted for, that Biden asked for. This is the one to hire 87,000 additional IRS agents, about four times the size of the border guard. and Border Patrol. And it's a massive increase in the number of folks uh, who do IRS work. And what's interesting is they also get $400, $400, $400 
million dollars, four hundred million dollars, for cars for the staff. Now there was an investigation into the IRS's use of cars, and they said they got more cars than they need, and it's not clear that they're using them for business purposes. Now they're going to get four hundred million dollars for more cars. Uh, they're getting more space, more office space. Fifty-three uh, percent of the people in the IRS today do not go to work. They don't go into the office. They work at home. Uh, only 20% of the phone calls, when you call in to ask a question saying, why did you think I owe you 50 bucks? 20% uh, of the time your phone gets answered, sort of. It uh, doesn't mean you get an answer from them, but that they even pick up the phone. 80% of the time, it doesn't. Uh, and their position is, you know, people are working at home, but the work's not getting done. Uh, somebody's out in the backyard in the pool, uh, not answering the phone, not in the office, not answering the phone. There are a whole series of challenges. Of course, we have the problem where the IRS leaked, gave away, sold something, uh, the tax data on thousands of Americans uh, targeting people who'd been audited. And then this was given to uh, uh, ProPublica, which is a very left of center organization which they can use to blackmail people with because you know what they didn't they didn't find that people weren't paying their taxes this is supposed to be rich people if they had they'd have put it into the press release point of fact everybody paid what they what they owed and some it was quite a bunch uh but somebody at the irs stole that data and gave it to them and the irs has not followed through with their promises to do an investigation so there's serious scandals here and then of course the irs for three years during the, uh, the time of the Tea Party, for three years, no conservative group would be allowed to be incorporated, conservative political group. If somebody wanted to set up the taxpayers from Boston or the Tea Party from Connecticut, uh, none of those groups were allowed to get, you're supposed to be told, sure, you can set up a group if you want to, uh, so that they don't interfere with freedom of speech and, and petitioning the government. But for three years, no conservative group was approved and then they all died because if you can't get incorporated and get a tax number for a nonprofit group, you can't get a bank account. You can't raise you know, money to hire somebody part time. And it really snuffed out the Tea Party movement. It's not around anymore. Um, whereas other political movements you know, get started in various states. Their taxpayer groups started in 1978 in many states. They've been around for decades and decades. The Tea Party was snuffed out by the IRS. I mean, this is. This is an abuse of power. We shouldn't be too surprised. The IRS has a union. Their political contributions, 95% to Democrats. 95% to Democrats. We have a one-party IRS. Who do you think they're targeting? Yeah, exactly. And, and just, just to note, I want to just reiterate a little bit of something you said. So we, we were talking about how the IRS has been weaponized in the past against conservatives. And now we're talking about in effect, doubling the size of the IRS and in some cases um, giving them armed officers. Uh, I think this is I, I've never seen anything like this. What's your take on why they need these armed officers and, and why do they need an extra 87,000 people? Uh, they don't need either. Uh, they have something like five million rounds of ammunition. They're buying more. Uh, they have quite a number of guns and rifles and so on. I mean, if you really thought you were going into somebody's house, ask the police to help you. Ask the FBI to help you. You, know, you don't need to set up armed IRS guys. That's, 
that's just ridiculous. Um, and of course, they do have these guns. They found uh, when they were investigated by their own internal folks, more times that they redacted this. So you only know the summary. The guns go off that the IRS owns more times by mistake than on purpose. Okay, so <laughs> oh this this is Keystone cop territory. This, this it's not, you know, these are not people who should be playing with guns anyway. They're evidently not any good at it. Um, and if you really did need police to do something, you know, ask them to help. Call the FBI. Ask, can you go with me? Um, but that is not. Not real stuff. It's, it is a very serious problem. It is poorly managed. Every 10 years or so, they announce all of our equipment is no good. We need new computers. You must give us billions of dollars and Congress will do it. And then 10 years later, they get the same thing. I mean, it's just on and on and on. They've never made their computers work properly. Uh, this, this, is, this is not a well-run, well-organized. Oh, and uh, about 1,400 people in the IRS. If they want more people, if they don't have enough people to go do IRS work, 1,400 get paid by you and me as taxpayers, a lot of money, a lot more than, than normal people, than, than mm -hmm. average people make, um, better pension, more days off, uh, higher pay for the same amount of work, uh, and early retirement, very nice retirement. Uh, this is a real a challenge uh, that when they do this, these guys get 1400 are paid just to do union work, which means working with the modern Democratic Party to help elect people. They get free office space. They get 1400 full-time paid people. You know, the Republican National Committee, the entire thing doesn't have 1400 people. But the one union-funded government fund, it's not union fund, I'm sorry, taxpayer-funded it's called official time, which is actually not official time. It's like non-official time, not, not IRS work time. This exists in most federal agencies and many states. Now, a number of states have sort of caught on to this and put an end to it. But this does exist at the federal government and the IRS. If they say, oh, we don't have enough people to do IRS work, then stop paying people to do political work for the Democratic Party. Why do you think the Democrats want to hire 87,000 more people, let's say they all pay $1,000 in dues. That's a lot of money for the Democratic Party to play with. Yeah, folks, uh, we're on with Grover Norquist. He's president of Americans for Tax Reform. And uh, th this debacle with the IRS is really something. We're going to continue to have this discussion and uh, get into a couple of more topics. And, of course, your calls, 866-505-4626, 866-505-4626. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. Our guest is Grover Norquist, and we're coming right back. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Feel free to try, chime in uh, and join the conversation. Plus, our phone number, if you want to join us that way, 
1-800-505-4626. Our guest is Grover Norquist, president of Americans for Tax Reform. You can check them out at ATR.org, ATR.org. Now, Grover Norquist, we are discussing the IRS, and uh, obviously there's there's plenty to discuss with respect to that, but I just want to throw something by you that uh, I'm sure. looking at a, an article that I just saw. It's, uh, you know, from, I don't know, half a day ago. Uh, saying refunds may be smaller this year, according to the IRS, and it has to do with changes in the tax bracket. Um, can you elaborate on that? Uh, yes. Tax brackets move up with inflation, uh, but they changed the... There are many ways to uh, measure inflation or cost of living, uh, and they went with a one that moves up slower, Um than in the past. So uh, rather than CPI, consumer price index, I think they use something closer to average wages. It shouldn't be a big change, but it, it, w- it will be a little bit of a change. And over time, it does, it does matter. Uh, and it allows, th- that was originally was put in the CPI by Reagan because every time there was inflation, they'd push people into higher tax brackets, even though you didn't really have more real money, you know, real dollars, uh, but you'd have more inflated dollars and you'd move into a higher tax bracket. Reagan moved, made it so that the tax brackets move up with inflation. This is just a slightly different uh, measure of inflation, but it does. it is a smaller one. So it does uh, not move brackets up as quickly as one might like. So when people think that they're getting... Um you know, it looks like their paychecks are a little bit bigger. It's not necessarily so. It's just because of this change. Uh, yes. Yeah. But yes, correct. It's not, it's not a tax hike. It is a, the brackets are not moving up as quickly. Um, they will move up. They will move up. You will not be pushed into completely new tax brackets, but over time, it's a little, a little less of a fix. I got, I got one idea that when you ask me what else they're going to do, Mm-hmm. Um, they've been talking about bringing back something that existed in World War II uh, called the Anti-Appropriations Committee uh, or the Committee uh, to Reduce uh, the Joint Commission Committee on the Reduction of Non-Essential Federal Expenditures, okay, put in by Harry Byrd, who was a Democratic uh, senator from Virginia. And he said, well, if we're going to have World War II, it's going to cost money, so we should be reducing other spending. And so this committee, unlike the Appropriations Committee, which spends money all day, this one, their whole job was come up with ideas how we could reduce the budget. What are things we could cut? There used to be something called the Civilian Conservation Corps. In one year, it was cut in half, and the next year, it disappeared. The Work Projects Administration, so work, Make Work Project, that was cut in half and then disappeared in a year. They saved about $40 billion uh, while it was going. Uh, the Democrats eventually killed it in 73 after Watergate when they came in. Um, yeah, I guess seven, after the 74 election uh, with Watergate, they, they did it in. And uh, so it doesn't exist, but it did exist, and we know how it worked. And bringing it back would at least get you, you know, a whole committee, maybe 20, 40 people, who would focus every day on reducing non-essential spending. Whereas right now, nobody's in charge of that. I mean, every once in a while they do it, but, but nobody focuses on it. So that, I think, is a really exciting one. And Steve Scalise is a big supporter 
uh, of that, the number two guy at, uh, in the Republican Party. The other one that uh, I like that's being floated around is putting term limits on the Appropriations Committee. So when somebody comes to Washington, D.C., and they put you on the Spending Committee, the Appropriations Committee, well, maybe you were a really good limited government person when you got elected, and maybe for the first several years you really are careful with taxpayers' dollars. But if you're in a committee and every day they're going spend, spend, billions, 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 you, you join into the party <laughs> because you're just, yeah. you know, all the other kids are doing it. Um, and But if you only are on the Appropriations Committee for six years, so after six years you have to move to another committee to do something else, then maybe people, people wouldn't get so habituated to spending too much. Now, what do you think? Uh, I mean, it sounds like, I think that's a pretty decent idea, and there's a lot of debate right now because of this battle for the speaker where people are fighting over rules, and uh, I'm thinking, you know, it, it, it. while it's a great time to do it because they have leverage because, you know, they're holdouts, uh, I also think, um, you know, th- there's a lot of these rules that one. I should rewind a little bit and say I think one of the, the benefits of this is individuals that may never really pay attention to what a rules committee does or what rules on certain committees apply. Now they're paying attention. And, you know, if you had a magic wand, what are some of the rules in addition to the one you just mentioned, like the um, term limits on the appropriations committee? Um, what other rules would you implement if you had input into the current conversation? Sure. I think it's very important to restore the ban on earmarks. The Republicans did that after a bunch of scandals around, I think, 2010 or so. Uh, That's very healthy. An earmark is a specific expenditure, like for one town or one city. Well, let's think about this. Mm -hmm. If nobody in that town was willing to pay for it personally, nobody in that town was willing to pay, have the town pay for it. Nobody in the county was willing to pay for it. The state wasn't willing to pay for it. Now they want the federal government to pay for it. This is not a list of important things. This is a list of things that everybody who should be in charge of that said, we're not doing that with our own money. This really is low priority. So it's the federal government spending money on things the state said was not interesting, the city, the town, the county, the individuals, you know, rich people in the town, they Mm -hmm. didn't want to build it. Um, You know, money for museums and things like that. Uh, You know, people build their own museums with their own money, you know, the federal government. Right. to a local museum. So getting rid and earmarks, they are the, the currency of corruption in Washington, D.C. Somebody doesn't want to vote for a stupid spending bill that's too expensive. And you go, well, what if we gave you a new swimming pool for the right. biggest high school in your, you know, why would the federal government buy pay for a high school's uh, swimming pool? Well, they do. Uh, and then you decide, that that budget bill wasn't too big now that it's bigger, now that you got something for you, now that something you can go tell your campaign contributors, look what I stole and brought home. Uh, so it, it's really bad. I mean, it, it's, it's very seductive and corrupting. Uh, I, I think it's very important to restore that ban in, on earmarks. I fear that somebody's going to have to go to jail for corruption, and then they'll decide, okay, let's quit that again. Sadly, but that's they the case this game before. so yeah, often. Yeah. Now, Grover Norquist, um, before we run out of time, I think we've got about a yeah. minute left. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want you to let everybody know exactly how they could follow you, uh, where you know where to check you out, and um, make sure that people are up to speed on the work you're doing. 
Certainly. Americans for Tax Reform, our website is atr.org, atr.org. I tweet at Grover Norquist. Uh, and we're the organization that asks all candidates for House, Senate, President, State Legislature, Governor to sign a pledge to the American people written down that says they'll never vote for a tax increase. And the good news is that almost all Republicans in the country have signed that pledge. Excellent. Well, thank you, Grover Norquist, for joining us tonight. I appreciate it. Uh, Godspeed to you and the work that you're doing. And Professor Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College is up next. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. America. Welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Uh, Check us out there. You can chime in on this conversation. This is America's late night town hall. We are live. Uh, 866-505-4626 is the phone number. 866-505-4626 if you want to offer your opinion on the program. And there's always a discussion on what's going on with the future of higher education from whether we're teaching the right things. Is it an indoctrination mill? Are we doing the right thing? Should people be going there to learn their next skill or trade? Have we abandoned the classics and humanities? And there's an excellent piece that I was uh, just looking at in the Washington Examiner titled, Yes, We Still Need the Humanities. It's by Professor Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College, and he's on the line to break down that article and a couple of other things. Professor, welcome, sir. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure. So for everybody who hasn't had the the pleasure of um, reading your piece, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Walk us through. Sure. It it came out of a story that I read in the Washington Post talking about how, especially in rural colleges, although this is happening in others, they're cutting a lot of humanities and even social science programs. So English, philosophy, political science, history, among others, and that they're doing so largely because of either state budget cuts or lowering interest among students. And, And the idea among both is that those aren't directly best for getting jobs. And so I was really trying to argue that both they, those, uh, those disciplines are actually better at getting you jobs than people tend to say, but that in a broader sense, it's not the best view of education, that we really need to be seeing education as not just about getting a job, although that's part of it, but about cultivating human beings and citizens, especially citizens for our country, and that those disciplines are really essential if we have that broader, bigger, and I think more noble goal for what our students should be learning and how we're trying to prepare them, not just for being workers, but being much more in their lives here in the United States. You know, and this is a, a very interesting point. And I want to get to the rest of this, but if you'll permit me, I just want to preface a little bit of this, because I think you're, you're making a brilliant point, and it's the sake of going to college or university is is for the sake of one's personal enrichment, education, and, and for lack of a better word, becoming smarter. And I think this is uh, something that has been dissipating in, in the tradition here in our country. And people in maybe some more left-leaning schools have been using it for the sake of brainwashing, indoctrination, whatever, what have you. 
Uh, but it, it doesn't mean that it doesn't work. Like, you know, a school like Hillsdale or others, I think people do leave there with a, a fundamental understanding of the classics of, of critical thinking. I think it's difficult to get a grasp of critical thinking if you haven't looked at, you know, uh, the Enlightenment, you haven't looked at uh, just so many different um, thinkers uh, of, of years past. And I think we many of us have. We've said, oh, you know what? No, they're the more geeky type. They just like to study coding or they like this. And, and p- places like Google and, and other big tech companies are saying, oh, we, we don't even look at college as much as we used to anymore. What we're looking at now is, you know, just what do you know and what certifications you might have. Uh, but I think it, it is a detriment to society overall when people aren't able to um, say, hey, you know, no, I've read, I've read you know, Adam Smith and The Invisible Hand. And, you know, I've also read, you know, some of the philosophical, um, you know, um, teachings of, of Nietzsche. And whether I agree or disagree is a different story. Uh, but, but I think it's important to have those because I think it makes you a more well-rounded person, especially if you have to go up against a person like that in your career. And do, you, do you agree with me? Do you disagree? Do you think that we've lost that tradition or it's still alive and well? Yeah, I think you make a couple of good points. And, and one that I don't emphasize as much in the piece, but I have written about elsewhere is some of the loss in the humanities has been self-inflicted. You talked about indoctrination and education, especially in a republic like our, ours, is really supposed to be about teaching self-government. How do you mm-hmm. govern yourself as a moral and decent human being and neighbor to then be a good contributor to the country as a whole. I think that's essential to patriotism is not just about loving your country. It's about loving it well and learning how to love it well. And I think we need, but we have too many programs that, as you said, don't teach people to think freely. They try to indoctrinate them. They try to make them slaves to talking points and often points that are critical, I think, of what's best about our tradition, both the Western tradition and American history. And so those are somewhat self-inflicted. But I think your other point is, is, is true as well. And I think one thing I was trying to say in this piece is that we still assume that you need to learn how to be good at a job. But mm-hmm. you, we don't come out of the womb knowing how to be good human beings. We don't know, come out of the womb knowing how to be good uh, siblings, parents, neighbors, um, and, and all the things that are implied in that. And I think a true good education, and this can't just start in college, it's really got to start earlier, but college can really be the pinnacle of it, is to say, uh, let's read the great works of history. Let's read what people have done, said in the past, both good and bad, And let's try to learn from them and not just learn how to do technical things, like you said, like code, but we do really need to learn what it means to be an American. We do really need to learn about human nature, and that's going to not only help you be a good citizen and neighbor, it really will actually help you be a better worker because you're going to have to work with human beings. You're going to have to work for human beings. So I think on all those levels, we're shortchanging what we expect and what we can provide for students and for therefore what they can be prepared to provide and do for their country uh, when we don't have that broader view of, of what education should do. And when we're not doing it right, as I said, it's also been self-inflicted by some that want to, uh, I think, distort that tradition and lose it and therefore not make it as useful as it's been in the past. 
All right, excellent point. Uh, Professor Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. You can get him at Carrington AM on Twitter. Uh, our phone number, 866-505-4626. I am Rich Valdez, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And we're coming back with Professor Carrington to continue this conversation because I think there's a lot of layers to this onion that we need to peel back. It's not just about what he wrote about. And I think you should check out this piece. And um, once we um, are done with the segment, I will send it out. It's, uh, yes, we still need the humanities by Professor Adam Carrington on the, in the uh, Washington Examiner. Check that out. More to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. All right, America, welcome back. Uh, We are on with our guest, uh, Associate Professor of Politics at Hillsdale College, Adam Carrington, at Carrington AM on Twitter. And listen to this headline. Employers may have finally stopped caring about where you went to school, says an HR expert. We've been using education as a proxy, they say. That's in today's uh, CNBC.com, a piece um, just putting the emphasis on saying we, we're, we're not as interested in a formal four-year education. And Professor Harrington, uh, excuse me, Carrington's piece uh, discusses exactly why it's more than the focus on technical education. And I agree. I think it's important to, um, to have both. I really think you need somebody who knows how to do the job, but also knows how to think analytically and critically and, and understands how to kind of hold their own with other people that have been educated uh, in a similar fashion. Professor, uh, what do you think of a headline like that, the one in CNBC? Well, I know I've been defending the humanities in college, but I also think that it doesn't necessarily mean college is for everybody. There may Mm -hmm. be other avenues people need to take, and this is why I would say that the kind of education I'm talking about can't begin in college. It really needs to be a culmination, as I think I was saying earlier. And therefore, you need to be thinking about education this way in K through 12 as well, where everybody's getting that kind of education and then decide, is it best for you to go on and get a particular certificate? Is it better for you to go to a four-year school and continue this kind of education? So I'm not saying that everyone has to go to college, but I'm saying for those who do go, this, I think, is an important element that needs to go along with job training as well, and that it needs to be something that is building off of the kind of education that students have gotten even before they get up to uh, uh, that post-secondary level. So I don't necessarily disagree with it. I think um, there's, there's an, it really comes down to what particular people need, but I think once they decide for college, this is an important element of that kind of education. Right. And I agree. I think uh, we have largely forgotten that the purpose of education, in my opinion, is to kind of cultivate the entire person, right? This um, mind, body, heart, soul, all of the above uh, is, I think, important to that. And and uh, what I want to get from you, I guess, your take on is the fact that we've kind of gone away from certain things where we're producing college graduates now at the baccalaureate level that 
don't have what, I don't know, somebody who graduated 30 or 40 years ago would have walked away with pretty much in any major, just uh, a certain um, understanding of things. Uh, today, I feel like I, I, I've met and uh, when I was a department manager, had hired some people that had master's degrees. And yet I was like, wow, that's funny. I, I'm an NYU dropout, and I, I think I write a little bit better than this person that has a master's degree. And, and I felt like the, the quality of higher education in certain schools, but I would say probably across the board, seems to be diminishing because of this, A, abandonment of heterodoxy, uh, B, uh, just I think maybe the abandonment of, of, of the humanities, and see, I just think people have reached, uh, I'm per- presuming now, a-, a level of complacency that I think is just uh, hurting us uh, across the board. Do-, do you think I'm off? Do you agree? What's your thought on that? I think there is a lot of truth to that, and I think it comes from a variety of factors. One is, and I'm not completely passing the blame, I'll, I'll take the blame on colleges as well, but often students aren't getting the baseline they need in K through 12. They aren't being taught how to write. They aren't being taught grammar. They're not being taught the, the hard slog that's needed to get to proficiency and even excellence on these levels. And that comes from a bad curriculum. It comes from being unwilling to push students. It comes from students coming from bad, you know, rough uh, backgrounds or, or struggling with, things at home. So there's a number of factors, but uh, they're coming in with less skills. But then I think college is getting too much in many places, like a consumer product itself, where the students are, I think, dictating in some places too much what the college should do. And of course, the college should listen to some degree to the students, but also the students should be there to learn, not to just tell the college what to do. And I think you see some schools with with their students taking over too much and that results in often a lack of rigor and less um, development of the students less demanding of the students and i am i am thankful for the institution i'm at that still really does push excellence that really does say no you're here to learn and you're here to be technically proficient at writing at math at the sciences and to cultivate, as you said, the mind, the, the, the body, the heart, uh, the, the moral uh, situation, the moral understandings all together. And I think holding that line is not being done as much as it has been before. And what that really means is the degree starts to get more and more empty. And I think that's what companies are, being, are seeing, that it's a kind of check mark rather than a reflection of what the essence of an education is, which is that someone has actually learned something, developed skills, developed themselves morally and socially. And as that gap continues to widen between what the degree is supposed to be and what it actually, the students themselves are actually presenting, I think you are going to see companies more and more not taking it seriously. And that, that's a problem for colleges themselves. They're not doing their job and they're suffering as a result of that. Yeah. And and again, I'm not trying to pin you down on this, but uh, something that I think is also a contributing factor, like you said, they're not arriving prepared. Uh, This is an experience I had personally myself, but I I think a lot of it has to do with uh, both teaching to the test, the loss of academic rigor due to softening of classroom teaching experiences because of teachers unions. I think teachers unions have given uh, uh, just a pass on a lot of uh, mediocrity and it just it it puts a, a 
you know, kind of lights the fire on, all right, go ahead and do whatever you want to do. You know, if it is, it is, it is, it isn't. This complacency, I think, is is dangerous, and it's uh, it's just not helpful. Um, and, again, don't feel forced to respond to that. That's just my rant because I think that that's a big part of what's damaging the American public education system. Uh, but well, I'm also well, – if you don't mind – Sure. Well, I'm sorry. If you don't mind, I, I would add to that where the softening is, one, not demanding a lot of students and also just misunderstanding what education is for in the way of indoctrination where we're now starting to question rigor and excellence and yeah. – the old ways of doing things and calling it as if it's bigoted inherently or as yeah, if it's basing it on race something. saying you can't expect this because this person's of such and such race. I think this is insane. Yeah. And I think that what it does is it demeans uh, the students themselves by not saying that we can treat you as an equal human being. And it also treats, it, it can often in the indoctrination part of it, Stop treating students as those we are trying to help and develop and and work with and makes them cogs in a kind of uh, a machine of indoctrination or a machine of trying to achieve some kind of social justice, mm-hmm. which I think itself is not taking the student seriously or the good of the student seriously and, 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 and therefore undermines them as well. So uh, I think those are all issues that are problematic and that are, are, are really infecting the kind of education that, that, that we need to be giving students but are not. All right, folks, we're on with uh, Professor Adam Carrington. He's at Carrington AM on Twitter. He's at Hillsdale College, and he's with us for another segment. So if you want to give us a call, chime in on the conversation. It's 866-505-4626. Of course, following uh, the segment at the top of the hour, we'll have Open Phones America, Open Phones Across America, one of my favorites, a tradition since the days of Larry King here on this program where everybody gets to call in on this late-night town hall forum and be heard. Uh, We're going to get to that again at the top of the hour, and Professor Carrington is with us for another segment. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And uh, you are welcome to ask Professor Harry, excuse me, Carrington, your uh, questions. And we've got Jim in Bowling Green, Kentucky, with a question for the professor. Jim, welcome. You're on with Professor Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College and me, Rich Valdez. Go for it. Evening, Rich, and evening, Professor. Um, professor, I, I get you guys' newsletter, the premise uh, from Hillsdale College. And I'm, I'm going to ask you a question you may or may not be able to answer, but I was just curious in your experiences, is there any other institutions in this country left like Hillsdale? Uh, I appreciate that, and, and thank you for subscribing to Imprimus. Uh, there, there are other institutions. I think we're doing it as well as anybody but there, there are others still out there that are, are I think, trying to follow this. Uh, you have Wyoming Catholic College out in Wyoming would be one example. Uh, I think you, there are some other schools, New St. Andrews up in, in uh, I, I, Idaho, pardon me, and, and a few other places that really are trying to take a classical approach to here. 
but it is frustrating that we are uh, fewer and far between. Uh, we're trying to do what we can to help change that. Uh, Tom's Aquinas College out in California would be another example. So um, we're, we're not alone, but we're fewer than we would like to be right now, and we're really trying to set an example that we hope will continue to spring new and better uh, brother and sister mm-hmm. institutions to do so. So I, I appreciate that and, and, and appreciate the, the, the support on that. Thank you. Now, uh, Professor, with uh, 30 seconds left, could you let everybody know where they could find you and follow the work that you're doing at Hillsdale and elsewhere? Well, the Hillsdale website, uh, hillsdale.edu, you can keep up with things. And I, my uh, Twitter handle, uh, Carrington AM, I try to tweet out whenever I write articles like the Washington Examiner and try to engage in, in this process. And I, I see my uh, ability to do these things as another way of trying to teach. And I appreciate uh, the chance to talk with you about these kinds of things as well. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. And I hope that you'll join us again in the future. Folks, that's Professor Adam Carrington, Professor of Politics at Hillsdale College. I am Rich Valdez. Open phones across America is coming right up. Don't go anywhere. There's more to come straight ahead. Open phone America. Here we go. What's up, folks? Anthony Armstrong here. Bob Popple, along with Super Bowl champion Carl Banks. Hey, NFL fans. This is Solomon Wilcox, former NFL safety and host of the Believe in Bengals podcast. Catch my show and all 32 Believe NFL podcasts. Listen in to former players give their inside perspective on your favorite team. Search Believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. It's always football season, wherever you listen. Hi there, and good evening. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, broadcasting from the New York area, 17 miles away from Madison Square Garden, New York City. Some of you guys know me as your liberty-loving Latino amigo. You might have heard me on the Mark Levin Show, you might have seen me on TV, or you might know me from here on the Jim Bohannon Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I am Rich Valdez, at Rich Valdez, again with an S on the social media. And I want to get to your calls, obviously, but there's a few things I want to lay out because, you know, there's a few funny stories, and I like to... uh, in this third and final hour of the program, I'd like to share some of those stories with you. One of them here, NBC News headline, woman poisoned her veterinarian husband with animal euthanasia drugs in his coffee. Amanda Chapin, 50 years old of Monroe, was charged on December 28th, uh, December 28th in Lafayette County. And I'm thinking, man, you know, we hear about these all the time. And every now and again, some, you know, whether it's like on a hotel stay or something, I'll watch a TV show I normally wouldn't watch when I'm home. And I'll see one of those true crime shows and, you know, with the suspenseful music, dun, 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 you know, that type of thing. And they'll say that, you know, this person was adding arsenic or adding this or and, you know, I just kept getting these stomach aches. And they tell it's like the same story over and over. They're getting poisoned very slowly until they have the heart attack or something. And here it is. This um this guy was a veterinarian and his wife was there steadily uh, poisoning this guy. In, in early August, he fell into a coma that lasted for four days. And uh, blood work showed that he had barbiturates in his system that came from drugs used to euthanize animals. Gary Chapin's son uh, filed a restraining order against Amanda Chapin on his father's behalf. 
and Gary Chapin, who's the veterinarian, has filed for divorce. Well, <laughs> thank God, sir. Uh, according to uh, online court records. Now, according to the criminal complaint, Amanda Chapin violated the restraining order in September when she sent her husband a suicide note via email, writing that she had decided to kill herself because her children would destroy her. She repeatedly denied poisoning him, saying, the only thing I'm guilty of is loving you so much. So with eight or nine O's and the note, uh, which included the complaint set. So she survived the suicide attempt after paramedics took her to a local hospital. Gary Chapin filed for divorce the next day. According to online records, their attorney, Adam Witt, who is representing Amanda Chapin in the homicide case, the Wisconsin Bar Association says that Witt serves as a public defender in Greene County, and he didn't immediately respond to NBC's request for comment. But I'm thinking, is she killing herself because she failed to kill this guy? Or is she killing herself because... She feels so badly about this thing. Um, I don't know, but this is a crazy story because, you know, usually when they do this, they get away with it. She didn't get away with it. Now they're they're both uh, kind of screwed up. So I want to get your opinions on that throughout the evening as well as everything we talked about from colleges to what's going on with the um, speaker vote. <laughs> I mean, I know we've done that a ton, but we'll continue to do that. And... Uh, and everything else that we discussed tonight. So I wanted to bring that up. Let me see. There was another story I wanted to mention here because there's a few big things here. Um, also, I'm taking bets from all of you guys, everybody that's out there. Let me know if you think we're going to get this before the 20th vote. Do we get it tomorrow? Do we get it next week? Um, I'm, I'm, I'd like your your take on that. And let me see here what else we've got here. Of course, Trump was nominated uh, by uh, Congressman Gates today to be Speaker of the House. And his response was tweeting a picture of... Uh, I think I retweeted it. So if you're following me on Truth Social, at Rich Valdez with an S on Truth Social, uh, you could see the the image. Uh, he tweeted an image of himself in the speaker's chair at like a State of the Union address, uh, making funny faces behind President Joe Biden, which I thought was so funny. I love President Trump's trolling humor. I think that's always uh, w- one of the best things when you, know, you could have what kind of day you're having and come across one of those funny things. And it's like, hey, here we go. Uh, so that's that. And we'll play some audio for, for you guys in, in a little bit, but I do want to get to some of your calls because, uh, I see the call board is lighting up with calls from, let's see where Washington state, we've got New York city, Manila, the Philippines, Evergreen, Montana, Cleveland, I'm guessing that's Cleveland, Ohio. And, uh, so many more. So let us, um, go ahead and talk with Steve in Cleveland. Steve, what's up, man? You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Rich, thank you for uh, starting it off there. You got what it, do you brother. Think about Trump being, what do you think about Trump being Speaker of the House for 100 days? Listen, I'll take Trump doing a lot of things for 100 days. You know, I mean, I think it would be fantastic. Uh, the, the biggest issue here is I just don't believe he'll do it. I think, you know, this idea was floated a long time ago. And I think tonight, you know, Trump is very skilled. He's very skilled and very masterful at a lot of things, right? And, and it works so well to his advantage. For example, I'm I'm the exact opposite, not meaning I'm unskilled, but, and you'll get what I'm saying in a minute, where if somebody gets on the radio, before, like before, somebody called in, they were upset, they were saying bad things about Byron Donalds as if they were true. I don't know how true they are, but uh, the conjecture was something I couldn't agree with. And, you know, I didn't want to shut him down, but I did want to correct the record because I think we got to be honest here and not give any false hope. Right? That's my philosophy here. However, Trump, you tell him, hey, you should you should become speaker. And about a year ago, they said, hey, Trump, you should become speaker. And what happens? Trump says, well, um, you 
know, uh, uh, that's uh, what so-and-so said. And he doesn't say, I won't do it, right? Now, meanwhile, privately, you, you see him at Mar-a-Lago, you bump into him somewhere, he'll just laugh and go, yeah, yeah, that's funny. You know, he doesn't take it seriously. But um, uh, publicly or on social media, he'll post a picture with him in the speaker's chair, I guess to add fuel to the fire, because he again, is a master troller. Now, do I think Trump would do a great job? Yes. Do I think he could coalesce our government? Absolutely. Um, if this thing continues, might he actually do it? Who knows? Um, I would love it. I mean, let me tell you, I would love to have front row seats. I'd pay top dollar to have front row seats to him being sworn in, the Speaker of the House. This would be terrific. And honestly, I want to sit right next to the Democrats. I want to look at Hakeem Jeffries. I want to see all of those guys and watch them one by one as everybody's heads exploding, right? Because they're just going to freak out. So yeah, I would love it. I just don't think you'll do it. I don't think you go from being one of America's top businessmen to one of the richest men in the world to president of the United States and then say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to take 14 steps backwards and become speaker. Uh, I just don't think that's the case for Trump. I don't see him doing it, but maybe he does. Maybe he says, okay, my fellow Americans, I believe that you need me. This is going to be huge. Believe me, believe me, I'm going to be the best speaker we've ever had. I think he could do that. And, and I would love to see it. I just don't know that he's actually going to, Steve. I just don't know. Thanks for being there, Rich. A good man. Hey, amen, brother. Thank you. And I appreciate that on W-E-O-L uh, in Cleveland. Big shout out to them and everybody listening. So that is my thought. But again, wouldn't that be exciting? You know, it's kind of like fantasy football for people that follow politics. That would be fantastic. And I would love every last bit of that. It really would make me... Um, Really, really happy, I think. Anyway, we're going to continue with your calls uh, straight ahead. I want to get into a bunch of things. We're going to talk about the border. We're going to talk about um, the um, the demise of the liberal arts and humanities in education. Uh, I also want to get to um, you know a little bit more on what's going on, the latest with the stalemate on the speaker vote, because I think um, there's there's another deal that's coming out, and they should get McCarthy a little closer to 212 or something like that. So we'll see how close they get. Um, and, of course, your thoughts, opinions, and, um, and, and musings on the news of the day because we are live. And this is America's late-night town hall forum. So make sure you get your call in. I want to hear from you. 866-505-4626. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. previous administration used a rule called Title 42 to deal with to deal with the pandemic, a rapidly to rapidly expel people who crossed the border. It was designed to deal with the pandemic, but it's used as a means to expel people at the border. People turned away under Title 42 and there are not and, 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 and they're not barred from trying to come back. They've been turned away. They go back. They try again. They try again. Well, you know, they can and they do try to reenter the United States again and again, which makes the problem that borders at the border even worse. OK, yes, that is President Joe Biden, who I like to call Joe El Baboso Biden. And he is casting the blame on former President Trump and the former administration, um, who I like to call Donaldus Magnus El Trumpito, the 45th president of these United States, who is going to be joining us on the program, at least scheduled to be joining us on the program. I'll give you more details as we move forward. But uh, he's blaming El Trumpito, saying that he uh, made things worse by implementing Title 42, 
which held back millions of people. So clearly Biden's endgame here was to have millions of people come in because keeping people out during the pandemic is what made things worse. And you just heard him say it. That's Joe El Baboso Biden. So now my, my thinking here is, and I know many of you are like, who is that guy again? Oh, wow. Yeah, he's still president. Yeah, he is. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's lamentable, in my opinion, because things aren't really going great, right, with Joe Biden. I think we can agree on that on any side of the aisle. My most liberal friend was an attorney for BLM. She tells me, oh, my gosh, don't mention. I'm so embarrassed, right? So nobody likes Joe Biden. But I can't imagine a world where anybody thinks, yeah, thank God. Joe Biden's doing such a great job. He's doing such a great job on the border. You know, and there's some people that believe that. But I think he's out of control. Anyway, I want to continue with your calls and maybe we could weave in some of this topic on the border. And we'll continue to dip in and out of that because I think that's a huge issue and it's very, very important. But in addition to knowing, um, you know, what is so important um, with or why it's so important to protect our border and and why Title 42 is is something that was very helpful, in my opinion. It's also important to know the average height of the United States citizen. And for that, we're going to go to our buddy Frank in Evergreen, Montana. Frank, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hi, Rich. Yeah, Hola. I'm, I'm really amazed here. Can you hear me very well? It's fantastic. The whole uh, world hears Yeah, it. the... Uh... Okay, it looks looks like uh, the average height of, of the United States uh, is about five foot four for women, or in uh, five foot nine for men. But uh, nationally, it's about five foot eight or something like that. I, it just, um, I think we should have a national height requirement if. Uh, at, at the borders, and uh, I mean, we don't we, we don't need more small people. I mean, it's just it's a. Uh, um, I come from a race that's. I got a cousin that's seven four in North Dakota. Uh, my brother was six seven. Another brother six four, and I, I arm wrestle people that are six foot four and uh, all the time and big orangutan arms and. Uh, I, I got to watch it, you know. I mean, I don't want to hurt myself. And I, yeah, of I course. Hate, you know. But now, Frank, h- help us understand uh, for everybody that's listening w- why uh, we don't need more short people, and and is it a, is it a racial thing or is it a what's the advantage or disadvantage? I've heard people, some friends of mine, or professors, they go to over take a trip to London, and if you're six foot. Paul, I mean, you're a giant. Uh, it's because the Chinese and everybody else is just everywhere. It's just it's a uh, it, it's overwhelming. There's just no national identity anymore. It's just uh, me. Uh, I'd vote for Trump if he can come over here in a, a flying saucer and get me a, pick me up and take me over to his place and uh, I'd have. <laughs> Good time. You know. <laughs> well, it'd have to be a flying saucer that, that tall people fit in, right? Because otherwise it, it may not work out. Well, Frank, thank you for that. Um, it's a, a, the national height, five foot nine or whatever it was, five foot eight. Uh, I, I think it's fascinating that we, you know, people from different generations and, and Frank is, is from a different generation. Uh, think of these things, right? And I grew up in Brooklyn and growing up in Brooklyn, I met so many people and, and there were so many interesting and nuanced things about New York City that 
were, you know, very germane to New York. Um, you know, like I, I've always understood Trump for, for many different ways because, again, he speaks and acts like a New Yorker. And there's a lot of bravado that goes, you know, when you're growing up, you just you see people yelling at each other all the time, getting in people's faces. This, this is not known as an altercation in New York. This is called, you know, I was talking to this guy. You know, he said something stupid. It's not, you know, necessarily like, oh, my gosh, I almost got into a fight. It, it, it's it, it's really downplayed because there's so much of that. And it's I guess it's just a thing. And so when Trump says these things and he plays hardball, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Just as when people make references to, you know, like, oh, I was hanging out with Tommy. Tommy who? You know, you know, Black Tommy, Jewish Tommy, Italian Tommy, which Tommy? And, and people were so often grouped by race. And because the neighborhoods were oftentimes grouped by race, right? You know, I lived right outside of Flatbush where, you know, there was there was a big Haitian neighborhood and there was also a large Jewish neighborhood. And, you know, you went to Sunset Park. And it was a big Puerto Rican neighborhood. Uh, you go to the Bronx, South Bronx, where my aunt was, Titi Rosa. Um, that was a, um, uh, again, Puerto Rican neighborhood. So it was just fascinating to me um, when I left New York that there were places that didn't operate this way. <laughs> And and New Jersey is kind of like that. But I just it was one of those things that just for me was very interesting. And it's quite an education that you get. So when I hear Frank say that, you know, he comes from a race of seven foot tall people, I say, hey, you know, good luck. God bless. What am I going to do? I don't. <laughs> right. And if there was a height restriction at the border now, while my family didn't come across the border, um, you know, I'm not the tallest guy in the room. Uh, not even with this great, amazing head of hair that I have. So, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe Frank is trying to have me deported despite me being a citizen. Let's go to James in New York City. James, what's on your mind, sir? Yes, sir. Good evening, Rich. How are Hola, you? Hola, senor. How are you? Happy New Year, by yeah, the way. Good. I'm, you too as well. I'm, I'm alive. Uh, this, this, just as a side comment before I make my main statement, the thing with the politic uh, that's going on with this... Uh, uh, this, this idiocy of choosing a uh, speaker and such as Kevin McCarthy. I, I, the only, the only thing I can see here is this is more reminiscent of an episode of Monty Python, some satirical <laughs> nonsense. It's, it's all it is ultimately. I mean, it's, it's, and you know, what's funny. They, they the name Kevin McCarthy, it was the same name as the guy who was Mr. Pinnell in um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, by the way. Oh, that's funny. And the guy was the guy was a complete complete case after a while. He's running around screaming, "They're coming! They're coming!" Yeah, okay, fine. At least McCarthy's anyway, not running yeah. around screaming. Yeah, well, you got about a minute, by the way. Go right ahead. Not yet, not yet. Anyway, getting back to what I was saying, the main sure. emphasis here is that for the predominance of uh, of the of the time that the human race has had the power, some power of intellect which is the last 30,000 years when it began to blossom some millennia ago, uh, we've struggled. We've struggled very hard to create a world in which we can express ourselves. We can observe the world and take it internally and then spew it back out again. The, the, the absence of liberal, liberal arts from universities would be a death blow to humanity. Uh, I could see it coming. I could see it coming in mass. Because it, it's everybody wants to be an IT tech. Uh, they want to be a uh, a microbiologist. They want to be a pharmaceutical researcher. They want to be a gender specific type of uh, researcher uh, or a counselor. It, it in the absence of, of anything reasonable, I, I, I think that we're going the wrong way and we're, we're 
we're going to wind up pretty much walking into a grave intellectually. Because without the, the past, without the, the study of the past and the liberal arts, in fact, philosophy, literature, what have you, we lose something. We, we become too externalized and we're critically dependent on tangible external, ex, external experiences, rather, where without those, without the TV, without the phone, without the, the, the telephone watch, without the computer, without uh, this, this chemical or that chemical, we become divorced from our true self and mm. wind up taking that step into the uh, six-foot hole. Yeah, I, I think that's a solid point. And again, you're adding a lot of nuance. That I, while I agree with you, I would have used a completely different context. Mine would have been more political in nature. But uh, it just goes to show, even if you're not using politics, it's just about being smarter and having a better understanding. I also think studying the classics, you know, Montesquieu, Sir Edmund Burke, so many others, this stuff is key, right? I mean, it's about knowing who we are, knowing the enlightenment. Don't go anywhere. It's open phones across America. I'm Rich Valdez. We'll be right back. There's no question that the, um, the number of encounters that uh, we are experiencing at the border is straining our system. Uh, and this harkens back to um, the question you previously posed, uh, which is we're operating uh, uh, within a system that is fundamentally broken. No one disagrees with that. We just can't seem to uh, agree upon the solution. And a solution is long, long overdue. Within the broken immigration system, uh, th uh, that we are operating, um, we are managing uh, the the number of encounters, and we are prepared uh, to address the end of Title 42. We've been preparing for this since well uh, uh, beyond last year. All right, that's Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security. Uh, Republicans have vowed to impeach him. I really hope they do. I think we have to take action on his lack of leadership um, unless we say he's doing a tremendous job leading because he's doing what Joe Biden's telling him to do. And again, Joe Biden saying Title 42, keeping millions of people out of the country during the pandemic, uh, you know, was wrong. And that was a Republican's fault, which uh, in part it was Republican's fault, but it wasn't wrong. And I, I think this is a problem. And he says, you know, that immigration systems fundamentally fundamentally broken and the number of border encounters is straining our system. Of course it is. I mean, you know, I don't like to call people a moron, although I do occasionally, or I'll euphemistically call them a genius. And this is a real genius statement for this guy to say, right? I mean, you've got to be kidding me here. We're going to have to come up with a funny nickname for Alejandro Mayorkas. If you want to weigh in on that, that's fine. You want to do it online at Rich Valdez with an S. I would love to hear your suggestions uh, because I think that's important. This, to me, is out of control. And we're going to get to your calls in a moment. Uh, 866-505-4626. I know a few of you are on hold. I just wanted to bring your attention to uh, somebody who commented on Twitter and said, love your show, Rich, but you're so wrong about McCarthy and the people objecting to him. Now, listen, I, I don't know what I've said about the people objecting to him other than I, I respect Boebert and Gates and I like them very much and I think that um, they might be slowing down the process and there was a better way to do this. Um, and ultimately, 
even Matt Gates today. I, I wish we had the audio of that. Let me see. What audio do we have? I think we might have the audio of Matt Gates saying that he believes that uh, Trump, uh, that um, McCarthy will eventually win. Um, and, and to me, that's important that you acknowledge that the speaker to be may win. Uh, but he still doubled down saying, you know, but but uh, I'm, I'm not for it. <laughs> and that's fine. He doesn't have to be for it. I'm not looking to strong arm anybody. I just think when it comes to, to this, I'm not saying that Kevin McCarthy's the guy. And this is the problem I have with false equivalencies, right? I don't, my, my support uh, for getting a speaker is, is not for Kevin McCarthy. I'm not a McCarthyite. I, I don't uh, have any special um, support for this guy. Uh, I, I don't hate him either. I think that he seems to be the absolute best person because he's got 202 and 203 people behind him. And if one falls off every now and again, whatever. You know, if even if they get to 30 votes tomorrow, I'm still saying, all right, so he's got this many and they've got that many. Uh, he's still the main guy. So it makes no sense to try and win. It's like saying, you know, we're trying to win the Electoral College. And again, maybe not the best comparison, but you want to win votes so that you can win. You don't want to go the the way where they have five votes or 10 votes or 15 votes. You want to go with the guy that's got the 200 votes. To me, that's the simplest thing in the world. And you've got a few holdouts that are trying to rock the boat and thinking if we hold out long enough, use uh, the attention that we bring to the matter, maybe we can get people to bend and say, you know what, you're right. I never liked McCarthy anyway. Listen, uh, I'm not going to say I never liked McCarthy anyway. I'm going to say he's not my choice. If I had a choice, I'd pick Jim Jordan. You know what? I like Jim Jordan, but Jim Jordan says he doesn't want the job, right? doesn't mean I hate McCarthy. I think McCarthy can do it. I think McCarthy delivered on the majority, whether it was a razor thin one or not. I think he did. He He delivered on raising money for these people and and I think, you know, you, you can't just sit here and ignore that, the, the the work that was put in. And it's not about him being entitled to it. It's about him earning it in many ways. And that's why he has that support. And the fact that people are ignoring, to me, the elephant in the room here is McCarthy has 200 and some odd people voting for him and a handful of five that goes up to 20 or 21 on any given vote are in, in the minority that are dissenting. And somehow everybody's supposed to stand with this minority number as if this is the altruistic thing to do in life. When you have President Trump, you have Jim Jordan, you have Jim Banks, you have uh, uh, Mark Levin, Sean Hannity. I mean, so many people. And again, you know, people may have opinions of these people. and say, oh, they're this and they're that. But I don't care what anybody says. They, these people are not rhinos. These people are not moderates. These people are hardline conservatives and always have been. So because they don't like what's happening in 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 um, Capitol Hill right now, it doesn't make them a rhino because they disagree. And I think it's important that we take note of that because to suggest otherwise is just really it's nonsensical. It doesn't make sense. It's not fair. It's not appropriate. And it's not true. Larry in Moses Lake, Washington, on the West Coast, the left coast. What's up, Larry? You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Well, yeah, I am on. Thank you, Rich. And thank yes, you. I think the uh, the subtlety that I get, the undertone of all of your listeners, me included, is what's the legacy that we want to leave for our children? It's the fight for freedom. And that's what we're seeing right now. But we're inundated with uh, 
false narratives by that come to us from the uh, mainstream media. It's a nut and shell game. We don't know what to believe, but thanks to you and programs and uh, Jim Bohannon and you and all of the other, I think, true speakers in talk radio, uh, we, we are your listeners that are, want to ring the bell of freedom. Amen. God bless you. Well, and, thank you, and that's very kind. And it, it's really, it's you, not me. It's definitely you. You are the team. We are, there's the team of the red and the blue who are on the same team, and then there's us. Mm-hmm. We are the freedom fighters. They are the freedom takers. And, right. and I, I so much believe in what you're saying about Jim Jordan. I love every time I see him uh, in, a, in an investigative position and then asking the questions, go, man, go. And then, <laughs> uh, and, and so then we, we, we would like to see him as Speaker of the House, but that takes him out of that arena of investigative journalism if nothing else and god bless him so okay let's let's let kevin mccarthy have that if if he can play that role and jim jordan can still maintain his role i i gosh there's a couple other things i wanted to say but i think i'm losing track yeah, well, it's it's overwhelming, Larry, because there's so many things that are running through one's mind, and I get it. Now, and this is why I, I I take the time to talk about this, and I'm glad you 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 made the comments you did, because I, at the end of the day, gun to my head, they say you like Matt Gates, I love Matt Gates. Gun to my head, you love McCarthy, I like McCarthy, <laughs> right? But who's going to be speaker? Matt Gates isn't going to be speaker. He said he doesn't want to be speaker. So ultimately, we have to make a choice, and we've got to go with the guy. You know, I guess being in government, you know, you can say it, it uh, the swamp ruined me or the swamp taught me some things. And one of the things I learned was whatever you believe in your heart and your convictions and your principles are yours. And you you there are certain things you compromise on. And clearly some of your principles you'll never compromise on. But compromise is a part of governing. It is a part of our system. Right. Um, this is just how it works at times. There's deal making involved. There's horse trading involved. So I think we have to not lose sight of that. And I understand that you, you don't want to give the house away. You don't want to, um, you know, give our liberty and our freedom away. Understood. I'm there with you in that fight. But I think right now we have a huge fight versus the Democrats that we seem to be losing track of. We have a huge fight for the border, a huge fight to hopefully impeach Mayorkas. A hu- How do you impeach Mayorkas if you if McCarthy is pushed into a deal where he has to cut a deal with Democrats? Now, of course, they could criticize himself because he couldn't get an extra four votes. Uh, he should have stepped aside for someone that could. That's easy to say, but foolish, in my opinion. Uh, I don't think it, it's it's going to happen, right? It's not that I wouldn't do it. I would love to see that happen. Listen, Kevin McCarthy, I want him to come on the program, and I'd love to talk with him about this. I don't think he's taking interviews right now about that other than press conferences. But bottom line is I believe that the right thing to do is for us to win. And we have to get to the win. We have to get this W. And to try and have four or five people, seven people, 21 people, whatever the number is, to you know, when it's not 100 or half of this number or whatever, to, to try and dictate the, the overall outcome of this and say, look, it doesn't matter who it is. Uh, I heard Lauren, Lauren Boebert say, anybody but him. They could be a moderate. Anybody but him. Uh, I think this is – it's just not the right time. It's, it's not the right move because there's too much at stake. 
You know, it's like, hey, we got to go to war against the bad guys, the Russians, the Chinese, whomever. Well, right now we don't like this general. We're going to fight over who's general. Then maybe we'll go fight the Russians later. We can't do that. And that's my bottom line. Don't go anywhere. There's more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more from Ohio, Manila, and Michigan. I'm Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. This this music coming back sounds like I'm about to introduce like some sort of UFO topic, you know, some sort of uh, X-Files type of thing. Uh, anyway, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. 866-505-4626 is our phone number. And I want to uh, continue with your phone calls, but there was a clip of audio that I wanted to play for you. Um, let me see where it was. It was cut number two. Go right ahead. There seems to be a lot of confusion, though, about exactly what this group of 20 wants. You say rules changes. A lot of people have said a lot of different things. Is there something specific, Congressman, that you want that would gain uh, your vote to Kevin McCarthy if that thing was fulfilled? Well, I'm not voting for Kevin McCarthy, but there are some of the 20 who I suspect might if we got control of the Rules Committee and the Appropriations Committee in the hands of folks that don't vote for bad rules and bad appropriations bills. Remember, before this last omnibus, Kevin McCarthy was paving the way for some of the worst legislation, driving our country deeper into debt and borrowing against the futures of the next generation. And so if we got control of those key committees in the hands of conservatives, I think there are some of the 20 who might vote for Kevin McCarthy. Uh, if things stand as they are, I would suspect that the opposition will only grow. So that's Matt Gates, uh, Congressman Matt Gates from Florida, saying he, no matter what, he's not voting for McCarthy, but some might. And I agree with everything he just said. I agree that it would be uh, ideal for um, conservatives to to be in, involved in the um, Appropriations Committee and the Rules Committee and have the right people there. I, I 100% stand by that. I also realize that it may not be a political reality. And whether we hold our breath, hold our vote, stomp our feet, cross our arms and pout, whatever it is, it's not going to happen because there are certain political realities. Now, maybe, you know, I think there, there, there's something to be said for this strategy that you, you hold out and you may get something. I don't know if you get all of that, but you... You'll get something. Now, again, I don't know who, who's going to be in charge of those committees. I think um, Jim Comer is going to be involved uh, or the oversight committee. I don't know who, who's uh, lined up for these other committees, but I think you, you can have you have to pick it and choose your battles. And when you have so many things on the table, you know, in my opinion, a potential to even if it's theatric, we actually now have the real ability to impeach Biden. Should that be the case? But. We're letting all of that fall by the wayside right now as the media has a frenzy talking about how fractured the Republicans are instead of, you know, saying, hey, these guys didn't have a red wave, but they came in and swiftly moved into taking care of business. And again, the media is never going to give us a fair pass, but the American people see what's going on. And if that happens and McCarthy were to kind of cruise right in, no problem from from anybody else uh, saying, you know, this, that and the other thing. And uh, we quickly go and say, you know what, there's a problem at the border. And we start when you have a majority, guess what? You're forced to get a little bit more media attention because now you have a speaker that can go out there and say, we're not going to stand for this. Right. A few weeks ago, McCarthy was at the border. He made some statements about we're going to impeach Mayorkas. Uh, that got on the news. 
People always say, how come our congressmen aren't out there? It's because the news won't cover them, especially when you're in the minority. So I think if you want to make noise and you, and you want to be able to, to sway the hearts and minds of the American people and remind them, hey, we are out there fighting for you, you, you need to be, you know, I guess like the saying says, don't be um, dollar wise and penny foolish, or is it vice versa? But you get the point, right? Don't cut your nose off uh, to spite your face. Don't do that either. We've got to be um, judicious in our approach here. All right, very quickly, I want to go to uh, Dave in North Carolina. Go right ahead, Dave. You're on with Rich Valdez. Thanks, Rich. Um, the, you know, I'm hearing this everywhere on all the talk shows, and one of the one of the greatest points made is the fact that we're going to keep dancing around this issue, and, and the Republicans have known since Election Day that they've had the majority, they've had time to prepare for this, they haven't done it. Now they're making a public spectacle out of this, just not getting it done. And it looks badly for the Republican Party. They're laughing at us around the world saying, look, these guys just can't, they, they can't do the simplest of things. But, you know, the point being, the Democrats have already started saying, well, what about this guy? What about and, and what's going to happen is they're going to use their little phrases like democracy's at risk or, you know, we <laughs> right. have to we have to do the process. You know, we're wasting and they're going to they're going to throw out such a sense of urgency and the media is going to catch it and they're going to start picking at that. And so. The Republicans are weak. Uh my representative here in the third district is a is a great after action speaker, but not he the guy's a mouse. He's not a leader. And I tell his staffers all the time, I expect I expect to see something more. I expect leadership. I expect dominance. We don't get that out of the Republicans anymore. And so they need to do that. Because if they don't, the Democrats are gonna say, Okay, well, not a problem. We got a solution. Here's what it is. And you're gonna start to see Republicans crumble. We've seen yeah, that. And you know what, Dave? I think we're, you're right. I think we're seeing it right now. We're, we're uh, not crumble. I mean, because again, we still have the majority, but we're seeing, you know, a little bit of a family infighting. And uh, to be fair, I think the media will always criticize Republicans, no matter what, right? They may give them a little more attention when they're in the majority, but they're, they're always going to criticize them. So I, I don't know that we can operate in a way to protect ourselves from the media, but I think we have to be cognizant of the media and realize you know, if we do this, they're going to do that. So be smart about it. You know, they're never going to give you a pass. They're never going to treat you like a Democrat, but they're always going to uh, they're always going to be there. And we need to be realistic about that um, when it comes to fighting. Like you said, look, who's fighting more than Matt Gates right now? Matt Gates is fighting. And I think that's the, the type of proactive before action fighting that you're talking about. We need somebody who's going to be doing exactly what he's doing. I would love it if Matt Gates said, hey, I want to be speaker. Listen, I, I would take a completely different approach if he said that. Uh, the fact that he says, I don't want him and I don't want to do it either. There's an old saying in Spanish that says, you know, uh, no come ni deja comer. He doesn't eat and he won't let you eat either. And this is, for me, problematic, right? If we had a, somebody that was willing to be to be critical and offer a solution, offering up themselves, amen, God bless, hallelujah, let's do it. But that that's not the case. Uh, ultimately, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll survive the damage and we'll get past it. But I do think damage is being done, my opinion. Uh, President Trump tweeted on Truth Social that uh, he believes we'll, we'll emerge from this stronger. I hope uh, he's right and that I'm wrong. More to come straight ahead. Thanks, Dave, by the way. Um, 
866-505-4626. I'm Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. Let's go to Gil in Manila, Philippines. Quickly, Gil, go right ahead. Oh, yes. Um, well, I had several things I wanted to talk about, but uh, I'll narrow it to one. You yes. had made a statement, I believe it was last week, um, talking about how great health care is in the U.S., and uh, I, ha- I have to take ex- exception with that. Um, problem sure. with U.S. health care is... The consumers are not very well informed, and they don't know how to pick the best options. They just go and, like sheep, do what they're told. Yeah. And if people were more informed about health care, uh, they'd get a better outcome. Um, this country has excellent health care if you know how to find it. This last December 24th, I woke up with a cinder in my eye, and I had... Mm two Santa Claus gigs the next day and they wouldn't be able to find the substitute for oh, me. Oh, Gil, so I went to the- our producer's playing music. That means we're, we're out of here. I'm sorry you held on. Um, I promise you, tomorrow we're going to go to Gil first so that we, we don't have this problem again. I'm sorry, Gil. Everybody's going to hate me for cutting off Gil after he was on hold. And Jane, sorry as well, and everybody else that was holding. My apologies. I'm Rich Valdez. Take care. Good night. God bless. Hasta la próxima. We will do it again. Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. 